Life was bitter to the core There was nothing to live for Until love came My name is Harold J. Perkins And at the age of 17 I was selling drugs And on my way to an early grave While sitting in my house with about 10 guys God gave me an out-of-body experience And I was lifted above the room I could see everything moving in slow motion After that I got up and put those guys out And I cried out to Jesus Christ He came into my life with liberty and purpose. Then I ran into religion. And it has taken me over 40 years to navigate through religion to fully understand what came into me that day. This podcast is to help put you on a faster track than it took me to get through religion and experience life, liberty, and purpose on a higher level. So get ready. We're about to start a revolution. Again, welcome. On the last episode, I said some things that most of you never heard before, that if you're in Christ, you cannot sin, that no man can judge you in anything. If this is true, how does God correct us and lead us? On this episode, I will give you Bible to support what I've said and to show you how God wants to lead us to reign in life instead of life reigning over us. But first, I want to say God has done a marvelous thing in creating us in Christ. It's from this place that we are to use our gifts and fulfill our purpose in a way that people marvel at what we're able to accomplish in him. Unfortunately, many people have confused God working in us with having church. We should be one of the best at what we do as we are fueled by God himself. If you are a singer, a dancer, a rapper, a doctor, a lawyer, an athlete, a social worker, a mechanic, a businessman or woman, you should rise to the top and be one of the best at what you do. I remember uh, late in my professional baseball career, a situation that happened that I got a glimpse of what I could have done if I had consistently looked to the Lord more as I was playing. Uh, We were in a game and it was the first game of a double hitter. I was on second base. It was one out. And the last inning, so I'm, I'm thinking, okay, if I steal third, then I'll a fly ball will get me home. But I, I got to know that I can be there. I could, I have to get a really good jump. So here we are. Uh, I, I, I feel like I got the timing of the pitcher really well. And there I go. I take off, and I got a really good jump. I was so safe that my arms were over the base when the guy touched, tagged my shoulder. That's how safe I was. But there was one problem. I forgot who the umpire was at third base. He was the same guy that called me out every time, no matter how safe I was, he found a way to call me out. So he calls me out. Now, remember, I'm the tying run, the last inning, and the guy gets a base hit, and I would have scored and tied the game. But instead, we end up losing that game by one run. So I'm over in the dugout, and these guys are giving me the cold shoulder. Nobody's talking to me. And so at this time, I said, God, I said, Lord, show yourself strong on my behalf. This was the first game of a double hitter. So we're going into the second game now. Now, this particular stadium, the wind blew in something fierce from right field. I had never hit a home run out to right field at this ballpark. And and actually, very few people ever hit a home run there. The wind blew in so much that if you hit it up in the air, it would blow it back into the ballpark. Only way you hit it out of the ballpark, you'd have to hit a rocket. And so I come up the first time after calling on the Lord so to show himself strong on my behalf. God throws me a fastball, and I hit a rocket into that wind, and it keeps going, 
and it's out of the ballpark. I come up a couple of times later, uh, the, maybe after my third at bat, and uh, this time the guy throws me a slider. Now I've never hit a slider out of the ballpark from my left side, from the left side of the plate. This guy throws me a slider. I hit it into that win again, a bullet just like the other time, and it goes out of the ballpark. Two home runs after calling on the Lord. I realized that, wow, why did I do that sooner? Why did I do that more? Now, uh, so it didn't help me that much in, in baseball, but I did do that in work and some different businesses that I was in. And I'll share those experiences with you throughout these episodes. You know, one of the things that the Lord has done with me, and this is the way that I minister, I don't just give you principles that are in the book. I can tell you God has given me a lifetime of testimony after testimony after testimony of seeing these principles at work and seeing him come up and manifest himself in my life. And he has no respect to persons. He will do the same for you. So when I share some of the things that he's done with me, they're to encourage you to understand that if you'll believe him, he'll do the same thing in your life. Okay, let's get into this. First, you cannot sin. Last episode, I took you to two passages of scripture saying you cannot sin in Christ. Now, let's see why. I'm right now in Romans chapter four, verses 14 and 15. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of not effect because the law works wrath. Where where no law is, there is no transgression. Notice it says where no law is, there is no transgression. Now, last time I took to took you to Colossians, where it said that the law was nailed to the cross and died with Jesus. Here it says, where no law is, there is no transgression. So how can God hold you accountable for sin if there's no transgression? Let's go to another scripture, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Here it says sin is not imputed when there is no law. So there's no law. So how is God going to impute sin to you? Hebrews chapter nine, verse 14 and 15. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the new Testament, which we're under that by means of death for the redemption of transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Notice it says that Christ has redeemed us from the redemption and redeemed us from the transgressions that were under the first. But what about the second that we're now under? Well, there are none. Let's go to Galatians chapter three, verse 19. Wherefore then serve the law. It was added because of transgressions until the seed should come, talking about Christ, to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. Notice it says that it was until the seed should come and Jesus has come. That's why Hebrews said there are transgressions that were under the first because Jesus has come and there are no transgressions under the second because there is no law. So let's look at what God did. I'll use this example. You and I were drunk driving. We were doing 120 miles an hour under the influence. We go to court. We got arrested. We go to court to plead guilty and we're sentenced to do one year in jail. As we're about to be taken to jail, Jesus 
Christ shows up and says, I will serve their sentence, and he does. So we're off the hook, right? We don't have to serve it. Then here's what Father God says. You know what? I don't like this speed limit. I'm going to remove the speed limit and no speed limit anymore. Now, here's my question. Can I ever get a ticket for speeding again? No, because the law has been removed. This is what God, a loving God, has done that is so far beyond natural man's understanding and comprehension to think that he would love us that much. Now, here's the question. Is it safe to drive 120 miles an hour every day? No. What's likely to happen? Well, one day, I'm probably going to die. This is what happens when we let our flesh just do whatever it wants to do. It will lead to death, but it's not God's doing. We are on Satan's turf, and he has no mercy. He's out to kill, he's out to steal, and he's out to destroy. Now, let's look at why can no man judge us? What has God done that enables no man to be able to judge us? I'm in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 10. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he said, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And that's talking about us, those of us who are believers in Christ. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. He's talking about the law and the old, old covenant. And notice he says, when I took them by the hand, which means that he's not in them. He had to take them by their hand. He's on the outside of them. I'll continue because they continue not in my covenant and I regarded them not, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. He's talking about us. I will put my laws into their minds and write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they will be to me a people. Here's the difference. He's in us now. Unlike the Old Testament, he was not in them, but he is in us. Now, who is in you to know what God is writing on your heart? Is there any man that would know? No, no man would know. Only God knows. So how can they judge you? Let's look at another verse. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 to 17. But this man, after you had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from now on expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore, the Holy Spirit is a witness to us for after that, he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their heart and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquity will I remember no more. The difference is now that God is now in us. OK, so who knows what God is writing on our hearts? No man. So how can they judge you? I'm in Philippians chapter two, verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved. As ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Notice it says that work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, don't be concerned with nobody else. For it is God that's working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You know what he's saying here? Mind your own business because you don't know what God is writing on someone's heart. Now, let me give you an example of God dealing with me here. God said to me to seek him first, and I did. And he blessed me as I was seeking him. 
But here's what was going on. At the time, I was still fornicating. But I was doing what he was writing on my heart. Then he came to writing on my heart to quit fornicating. And I did. Then he went on to other things. One after another after another. Now, if you had judged me when I was fornicating, you would not have known that God had not written that on my heart yet and that I was obedient to do what he was asking me to do at the time. Do you correct your children with 50 things at the same time? No, of course not. Then why do we think that God is going to expect us to do 50 things all at one time? No, he's going to write on your heart and it's usually going to be one thing after another. And you know what I found, if, again, if you're at the right house, what he's writing on your house, on your heart, your house will be confirming what he's writing on your heart. Now, Holy Spirit is the one who is in us to write on our hearts and minds. If we tell people the truth and they come to know what God has really done, they will rise up to be who God has called them to be because they know what God has placed in them. I'm over in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. I'm going to stop right there. For decades, I thought this was saying, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit lusts against the flesh. That's not what it said. It says, for the lust, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit is against the flesh. It doesn't say the spirit lusts against the flesh. That's important. I'll point that out later on why that's important to understand that. And these are contrary the one to another, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifested, which are these. Notice he calls them works of the flesh, not works of your spirit. Here's what your flesh wants to do. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such the like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there is a difference. It's important that you understand here. There is a difference between inheriting the kingdom of God, receiving your inheritance, receiving your place of reigning and actually coming into the kingdom. That Those are two different things, okay? If they're not two different things, then what he's saying here, if you're participating in these things of the flesh, then you're not in the kingdom of God. And we that's not true because we know there are people that are in the kingdom of God that commit fornication, that commit uncleanness, that commit idolatry and witchcraft and all these other things, right? Some of these other things. So that's not what he's talking about. I'll cover this in detail in, in other episodes ahead, but he's telling you that if you're going to receive your inheritance in the kingdom, what God has for you, he is expecting you to get control over your flesh and not let these things be dominate and be a part of your life. Well, why would he require you to do that? Because he has placed something inside of you that's totally contrary to what the flesh is. And here's where, here's where they are right here. Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit, I'm going to stop right there. It's a capital S speaking of the Holy spirit. Well, is the whole, is, is, is what, is in the Holy Spirit different from what is in Jesus or different than what is in the Father? They're one. 
Well, if they're one, then what's in one is in the other. Well, if we have the spirit of Christ, then we have the same potential of producing this kind of fruit in us. Why? Because the seed is the same. We receive the seed of Christ. And what is in the seed is going to produce if it's given water and sunshine, correct? So let's understand what's in us. Verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering, and gentleness, and goodness, and faith, and meekness, and temperance, against such there is no law. Now, I know you haven't heard this, but this is what's in our spirit. And as we began to water it with the word of God, and we began to spend time in prayer and worship, and we allow God to correct us and to speak and minister to our hearts, we will begin to manifest this type of fruit. It goes on to say, Verse 24, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. Now, let me say, it's a process in crucifying your flesh. But how can I crucify it if I think it's me? I don't want to die. I don't want to kill myself. When I really know what God has put in me, and and I understand that these things that are contrary to my spirit as my flesh that wants to do all these things, then I can say, okay, you know what? That's not me. And I'm going to crucify that with this man on the inside, with this seed of Christ, the resurrected Christ is in me. His power is on the inside of me. Dear, if I'm going to let this dominate my life, but it is a process to get into that point. So let's get to the final thing that I mentioned. I would cover it at the beginning of the episode. How does God lead us? Well, we already covered it by writing on our hearts and writing on our minds. Now, let me give you an example of how valuable it is to have God write on your heart and on your mind, to be able to develop a relationship with him that you can hear him talking to you and you are willing to say, you know what, if that's what you said, I'm going to stand and believe that it's so. When I went to Mexico here, uh, I was on my way to Laredo, Mexico, and when I was on my way there, I heard in my spirit, right in on my heart and mind, right? I heard God say, I have a job for you on this team. So I go there with a friend of mine. We drove my car, and we performed. We did well, but I could tell that the manager didn't like us for whatever reason. And so I stood out in center field, and I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I speak and declare and decree that I am the center fielder on this ball club. I said, now, devil, my feet have walked on this. It's mine. I tell, I take authority of you. We're you completely powerless here in the name of Jesus Christ and ministering spirits. I send you forth to go minister on my behalf. So we go to them and they said no. And then we went to them a second time. They said no. Went to them a third time and they said no. The job's not for you. My friend said, well, I'm going home. And I said, well, you're going to have to catch the bus. We drove my car and I said, God said he had a job. I don't know how it was going to happen, but I'm staying. And so he got on the bus and went home. And so I'm there and and still hanging around with the other guys and and so forth. And 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 one day I was at lunch with a couple of American ball players, and they asked me this question because they knew they had told me they didn't want me. They said, "Why are you still here?" And here's what I said: I said, "I believe I have a job." And they looked at me like I was crazy. You have a job? I didn't say I'm going to get one. I said, "I believe I have it." And so anyway. Uh, they go and they play their first game on the road. They get beat up pretty bad. And so they're coming back, getting ready for their first home opener. And I'm on the side. 
I'm I'm hitting off the batting tee. Now they really think I'm crazy. They're getting ready for their game. Hey, if you believe you got a job, you're getting ready, right? You stay in tune. So I'm hitting off the batting tee. And then the general manager sent a little kid over there and said, hey, the, the general manager wants to talk to you. So I go over there and talk to him. And he said, hey, listen, we're going to suit you up tonight. Uh, we're going to keep you here maybe until the other American get here. And then we're going to release you. At least you can use this. We can use you while you're here to help us win. And so I, 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 I know in my heart, I'm going to be on this team all year. I listened to what he had to say. So they suited me up, put me in left field. And uh, I'm playing pretty good. About a week later, the American shows up and they don't release me. They send another of the Americans down to their minor league team. And they kept me. Now, remember, remember, I said I'm going to be the center fielder. Now, without me saying anything to anybody, nobody, two weeks later, the manager comes over to me and says, hey, Harold, we're going to move you to center field. And I played center field for the rest of the season on that team. And I was the only American that they kept for the whole season. I saw uh, uh, Americans come and they released them and they come and they released them all throughout the year. I was the only one to play on that team the whole year. And the sports writers considered me to be the most valuable player on the team. Now, I share that to say to you, here's the value of being close enough to, lo to the Lord where he can write on your heart and write on your mind and be able to follow him and be willing to stand. Many of you have, uh, have God has spoken some things to you. And since it didn't happen right away, you gave up on it. Okay. Cause it seemed like it was going the other way. Well, that's the enemy's job to make it look like it's not going to happen, but you have to be willing to stand and believe that you heard from God and he will always do what he said. If you hear him, and you are determined to stand and believe what he has said to you, he will always do what he said he's going to do. This walk is a faith walk. We have to believe in our God, believe what he has actually said to us, and develop a relationship with him that we can hear him and that we can follow his leading. And he has wonderful things in store for us when we learn how to follow his leading. Let me say right here, if you don't know our living Savior, Jesus Christ, you get to know him right now. Say this prayer with me. Say, God, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for my sins. Jesus, I accept you into my life as my Lord and my Savior. Help me to live this life. That's it. It's that simple. If you mean what you just prayed, start reading the Bible for yourself. You can start in the book of St. John and in the book of Romans. And God will begin to show you his purpose for your life. And he'll begin to show himself to you. All right. We'll see you on the next episode.